earlier this month, And Health, which is Australia's commercialisation engine room for digital health, they released a new industry report. And when And Health drops an industry report, they don't muck around. They're on point. So it calls for a dedicated episode of this podcast. So this report, it's called The Awakening Giant, The Rise of Australia's Evidence-Based Digital Health Sector. So if you want a better understanding of Australia's potential right now in digital health and how we might accelerate the use of technology to drive innovation further and deliver better patient outcomes, this report gives some quality insights into all of that and more. Now, Bronwyn Legrice is the CEO of And Health, and before And Health launched this report, they did it at an event in Sydney. Before they did that, Bronwyn was kind enough to sit down with me and have a chat and take me through some of the highlights of the report and its findings and what we might think about them. So you can download the full report from the And Health website, and the link to that is in the show notes of this episode as well. So click through and read the whole thing. But first, you can get the summary of the report from my chat with Bron right now. So here we go. Collaboration starts with the conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Hey, Bron, how are you? Good, Pete. How are you? Good. It's good to chat. It's good to be here in person. Awesome to see you face to face. It's yes. the first one of these we've done face to face, I believe. It is actually, yeah. Oh no, we did one at Australian Healthcare oh, Australian Week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was kind of in a big noisy room. As a, as a big, as a quick one. So this yeah. is a good opportunity before you go out and officially talk about this report, which we'll talk about in a second. I get a bit of a spoiler alert from you, but we'll get to learn a bit more. But first, this is th- this report, the Awakening Giant. It's almost like the sequel, right? It's like the <laughs> the second of a series because there was the sleeping giant in 2020, right? Have I yeah. ever got that right? Yeah. So I'm known for coming out with pithy remarks that I then have to live with for long <laughs> periods of time. So we came out with this concept that the evidence-based digital health sector, when you compare it to our biopharmaceutical sector or our medical device sector, was kind of a sleeping giant of potential in Australia in 2020 when we we had all the data which we gathered before COVID and we were sitting there yes, trying to write that. it during COVID. Yes, And so then, of course, you're coming out with the next report in the series. So I'm now committed to giants as a theme. (laughs) Hopefully no beanstalks involved. (laughs) So, yeah, so the Awakening Giant. And I think it's kind of apt in that we've seen, you know, a 74% growth in the the pipeline of companies that we're working with in those two years. And we really are seeing, you know, public and private investors starting to really pay attention to the space. Yeah. I want to di- dive into the detail in a sec, but for those that aren't aware why you've got such good visibility of all of this stuff, at, at a high level, like explain wh- why you've got access to this kind of information. So And Health is a non-profit, non-equity taking provider of commercialisation programs. I'm not going to say it's an accelerator or an incubator because we now provide a really big suite of programs that, that support people innovating in this space from idea to exit. So it goes from very early stages, I've got an idea, mm-hmm. through to companies that are going global into the US and, and European markets. And so since we were set up in, in 2017, we've delivered over 2,000 hours of programming to over 1,360 participants. And every time we support a company, most of our programs are free or heavily subsidised by public investment. Mm. When we engage with companies, for our own ability to help them, we gather data, but also for our own insights into the into the sector. Because what was really clear when we set up Hand Health back in the day, <laughs> when I was much younger and had less grey hair and less children, um, 
when we set up Anne Health, what was really evident was that we knew there was something there, but nobody could actually point to it. And if you want to advocate for an area of health technology or any area of innovation, really, you really need to have some really grungy data to back up the argument. Otherwise, you're just standing on a soapbox going, invest in us, we're special. Mm. But as a former investor, much as we get a lot of invest in us, we're special, it's not actually a reason to invest. So we have to give policymakers and private investors reasons to invest. And so we took the approach that we also need, as, as companies progress through our programs, we need to know what they do, where they come from, what they're focusing on, whether they've changed their focus, mm-hmm. whether they've got new clinical data, whether they're growing. We also record whether they've closed down, which does happen. And so we collect this and we aggregate it. And what it's actually allowed us to do is these reports, which are very much themed on some old school reports that used to exist in big fancy hard copy back in the early 2000s in the the biotech sector, but really trying to give that ability for everyone in the sector to be able to refer to data about what the companies are doing, what they're focusing on, what types of technology they're interested in, whether they're raising money, whether they're growing, whether they're not, because that happens. But also, you know, really start to unpick this idea of an evidence-based digital health sector. Mm -hmm. So digital health that is is not just software being used in a healthcare setting, but software and connected devices that are really trying to change the clinical outcome and play an active role in the clinical process in terms of how we support patients both in the clinic and at home. Yeah, and and that area of evidence-based digital health and also deep tech, they're the biotech, but the the areas that I guess investors from outside of the scene would would either potentially avoid completely because it's too complicated and potentially costly and, you know, takes a long time, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so having some insight into that is is really important for those that are involved in it. And I'm looking through the report before we caught up. I got a bit of a sneak peek, which is nice. Uh, I was I was surprised by a few different things within there. In particular, 85% of companies are planning to raise capital in the next 12 months, and six of them are wanting to raise over $10 million. So did that did that surprise you, or is it kind of on vibe? Well, well probably not, because I come from a biotech and medtech background, sure. and everyone's always raising. But I think that really highlights one of the key factors about evidence-based digital health, which, like a medical device or a biopharmaceutical product, needs to gather quite a significant evidence base before they will start to attract mm. meaningful revenues. And and so that whole idea of you're investing in, in development and commercialisation and evidence gathering, whether it's clinical trials or healthcare utilisation studies to test economics or both, mm-hmm. in various markets or with various demographics or, you know, getting the outcomes data that will enable clinicians to really buy into your product. And that really long period, whether it's three years, five years or 10 years of pre-revenue growth means that these are companies that are really often dependent upon external capital to survive. Mm. So it's very different to a straightforward, say straightforward, but I don't necessarily mean straightforward, but a a SaaS-based B2B or B2C play where it's customer attraction, customer lifetime value, and you're really looking at that revenue curve, Mm. which drives your valuation. Digital health companies have long kind of struggled with this whole thing. Are you a tech company? In which case, everyone's looking for those lovely hockey stick revenue cares. Versus, are you a healthcare company where, you know, our our healthcare investors are much more used to potentially getting their exit before anyone sold anything? Yeah. And, And what impact does a regulatory approval have on your valuation? 
what impact does that clinical study with the Mayo have mm. on your valuation? But I think I'm not surprised by them raising money because they're generally cash burn businesses, at least in their first few years of operation. Sure. If you've been kicking around this industry a bit like me, or maybe even you're brand new to digital health, you've probably worked out that health tech is not an individual sport. Whatever you're trying to achieve, whether you're delivering healthcare for patients, or you're building health technology, or perhaps you're helping deploy solutions across health systems, you need a tribe, a community of like-minded individuals who just get it that if we're going to transform healthcare, then technology is going to play a huge part in it. So to learn and connect about health tech and level up your game, consider joining our THT Plus membership community. We've got options for every stage of growth, whether you're a solo individual or a startup or scale-up company. As an individual, you get access to our exclusive community forum, you get a warm intro to two other members from me each month, you get free access to our quarterly virtual summits and a bunch of other exclusive goodies. Companies can bring team members into the community, plus you get a presence on our website as a THT Plus member, you can post content like news events and jobs, and of course we love to showcase our members, so when you join as a company THT Plus member, you'll get to appear on this podcast with your very own episode. This podcast is made possible through the support of our members, it's literally the heart of everything we do, so consider joining as a THT Plus member, you can join anytime. Online, just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT plus. And so looking through it, the report a bit more, I like how it goes into about like what organizations are focusing on. 15% are focusing on mental health. So that's that stands out for me. And is that, you know, evidence-based, so digital therapeutics, is that the, the typically the area there so for It's very health? interesting. So a lot of companies in Australia don't really define themselves as digital therapeutics companies, mainly because the word is actually not really heavily used in Australia mm. yet. So I think there's probably quite a few digital therapeutics companies hiding in sure. here that don't necessarily see themselves yet as digital therapeutics. That's certainly a term that we're a partner with the Digital Therapeutics Alliance, but certainly a term that we don't hear as much here as we do overseas. Mental health is really interesting. It's definitely increased since COVID. I think there's a lot of, um, A, there's a lot more acceptance, a lot more awareness, and there's also better funding streams with mental health. And, and I definitely think that changes to how telehealth is reimbursed. There's some great data on, on people with mental health conditions often don't want to walk into a clinic and talk about it. So telehealth is a safer mechanism. But yeah, mental health has definitely grown, I think, during COVID. The interesting thing for me in the primary clinical indication data is the fact that 23% of companies are, are agnostic. Now, we didn't have that option in 2020, but the reason we did it is there's so many platform plays that deal with chronic disease management or or related comorbidities. And when you say, when you say agnostic, so... Agnostic. (laughs) So they're not necessarily focusing on any specific clinical indications. So they're not, we're a diabetes company, we're a COPD company, we're a cancer company. They're Mm -hmm. saying we are working across people with chronic disease Mm. or we are working in ageing, in supporting the ageing population more generally. And so... You know, you can think about people who have type 2 diabetes might also have COPD and hypertension. Mm. Okay, can we deliver? They're looking at platforms that can support people with all of that. So medication adherence is a great example of, you know, polypharmacy is actually one of the biggest issues within medication adherence or suboptimal medication use. So suboptimal medication use is a... Back in the day, it was a $3 trillion problem. Like, it's a really massive problem, and that includes adherence, but it also includes polypharmacy, right? And so 
people having to cope with. We've all seen it with our grandmother or a grandfather or a family member who's got some kind of series of chronic conditions and they've got these pill packs and there's just enormous amounts of different coloured shaped pills and all the rest of it and and there's lots of mechanical ways of dealing with it. But the other thing is people don't like taking pills. (laughs) Taking pills, unless you're a supplement junkie, reminds you that you're sick, right? So a lot of people don't like taking pills. So there's a natural resistance to wanting to take pills. It's like kids with asthma. They don't want to be the kid carrying the inhaler. Yeah. Right. So how can you change the behaviours of patients? And that's the other thing that comes through in the report is that a large number of companies are looking at things that, you know, a third of companies really rough are looking at things that are about empowering or engaging with patients. So self-management of disease, medication adherence, patient behaviour change, because mm. we know that the more engaged and active a patient is in their journey, the better the health outcomes they'll get. That, that, that didn't surprise me about the 30% being patient-centric solutions and and a really important one. A lot of people talk about that as what's going to drive change within healthcare. Although 18% were building solutions for clinicians, like clinical decision support as well. Yeah, clinical decision support is interesting. It's an interesting stepping stone into the market too. So there's Ah. often a a lesser regulatory hurdle for clinical decision support. So you might be able, we do see some companies that will develop a clinical decision support tool and get that into the market to build the trust and build the engagement and build the market base while they then develop something that's more like a diagnostic that might attract a class two regulatory or higher regulatory requirement. So it's a way, I guess, of navigating that viability gap where, you know, we know that digital health companies often have amazing clinical outcomes. I know of so many companies, amazing clinical outcomes, but simply can't get to that viable, sustainable business. So Mm. one of the ways companies can do that is by, by going into the decision support or, you know, even wellness spaces and then trying to leapfrog into... Yeah, demonstrate um, it as a... Into a regulated, more medical device-style, evidence-based play. That being said, you know, clinical decision support's an interesting area for regulation because it's a very... It's fine line and I think we all have to be conscious of the fact that we all, whether we should or not, even the informed among us, put quite a lot of trust in our software. Sure. So we tend to believe the things that software tells us. Mm. Maybe not Twitter, but, you know, <laughs> general other types. So so I do think we need to be careful as junior doctors come in that they're either trained to question that software or, or think independently of the yeah. software or the software has to prove that it's safe and efficacious yeah. like any other product in health. Especially, yeah, even for a clinician to have a clinical decision support tool that suggests something, at least they've got something then to point to and it's not that they can, you know, uh, shirk any responsibility from it, but at least they've got something to point at. So yes, that that trust point is is going to be really important. And a medical legal point, right? Yeah. So do you want to be the person producing the software that a clinician mm. relies on if something goes wrong? Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. from an investor standpoint, they're not scenarios you really want to no. manage a company through. No. Hey, one thing I liked is that forty one percent of organisations had a pretty good cash runway yeah. of like covering up to twelve months which was up from 21% from when you did it two years ago. So from 21% to 41%. So there's a decent amount of resilience, I guess. In, in yeah, so I, I, I think there's a few little there's a few little beginnings of markers of maturing of the industry. Mm. So that's one of them. Mm. People really knowing what the cash runway is and, and having a bit more money in play. And I think we've certainly seen increase in, in government grants that embrace digital health 
you know, mm-hmm. that doesn't require, doesn't give a 35% weighting to the number of patents you have because, you know, right. those types of medical grants generally wipe out a lot of the digital technologies mm. on, the, on the way through. So I think the resilience is good. The 12 months from I was actually really surprised by that. I, but, you know, the median amount of money raised is also really painfully low. It's so $278,000. Yeah. So, you know... 12 months of runway, but are you paying people? Are you, you know, are you eating? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> You right. know, are these companies bootstrapping, which is giving them their runway, or are they genuinely now starting to get to that level of maturity? I think there's six companies looking to raise north of $10 million. That's a sign of maturing at one end of the sector, but that median number is still really I was low. Say that median number, that, that seems really low. Especially when you consider a lot of these technologies are class two medical devices. Yeah. That, right? that's a so they do need to do quite, <laughs> quite large clinical studies yeah. that, you know, biostatistics and, mm. you know, mm. clinical trial costs. And, and then once you get the clinical trial, then you've got to build out the commercial side of the business. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's definitely an evolving industry. Like there's some really positive trends and then there's that, oh, but that's not mm. great. But I think overall the signs are that we can take our world-class health and medical research sector and biopharmaceutical and medical device sector and combine it with our tech prowess from things like Atlassian and, mm-hmm. and other companies and create something that's really quite amazing and unique and ultimately globally scalable. These companies don't need to leave Australia to, at a product level, service a global patient population. They might need cloud servers in countries due to privacy and storage re- security regulations and they might need salespeople and they might need medical affairs people. But at the end of the day, these are ultimately globally scalable businesses from Australia. They're yep. deep tech. They're often... You know, people often say, oh, digital health, oh, it's so much better, it's faster and cheaper than medical technology, other me- types of med tech. Mm. Yes and no. You know, if you look at some of the big players in the market, most of them have been in there for, for over a decade, you know, 10-year ten, ten overnight successes. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, clinical data gathering is clinical data gathering and it's mm. hard, it's expensive, and sometimes the data isn't what you want it to be. Yeah. And so what do we do with this now, Bron, with this information, with this report? Who's going to use it and what are we going to do with it? Look, this report, I think, is a, is a... I'd like to see people using the report and referencing mm. the report, clearly, because it's a really massive investment for Mand Health. And I do acknowledge the support of the Medical Research Future Fund in, in supporting our operation, which enables us to do this type of stuff. We'll still be here and hopefully expanding our programs across a number of states and also nationally. But I really think, A, we should use the data when we talk to government. I would like to see, there's a, probably, there's a few things that we'd like to see, I guess, as you always have your, your wish list at the end sure. of these reports because they get dropped on ministers' desks. Mm-hmm. Um, so one is I firmly believe and, and you know, it's my background and, and a lot of my colleagues in the venture capital community may disagree, but I firmly believe that we will only truly unleash this sector when we get at least one investment house that has serious capacity and capability, so people with proven experience and global networks mm. in digital health that can lead investment into the space in, a, in an experienced and smart money, to use the kind mm. of jargon term, kind of way, mm. patient capital that's really connected and experienced. It is, it's not the same sector as medical devices and it's not the same sector as biopharmaceuticals and it's not the same sector as tech. I also think we're seeing some of the big tech funds invest, which is great. We're seeing some of the big healthcare VCs invest. That's great too. I'd love to see some syndication between the two kind of pillars yeah. of tech as well. So investments, one. The other two are really interesting because I think as we look to Australia's economy beyond COVID and um, had the privilege to meet with Minister Husek and, and hear his views on, on innovation and it's mm. quite refreshing, but also this whole idea of 
We spend an enormous amount of money on healthcare in Australia. Mm. But if you talk to startups and small companies in Australia and even some of our biggest SMEs in Australia, they will tell you that procurement is in, in Australia is incredibly difficult. Mm. So some of the best of Australian technologies are being deployed in other nations but not being deployed here because it's simply just too hard to get bought here, <laughs> right? So, you know, a really buy Australian made campaign through health procurement mm. where where these technologies are world-class, they've got the evidence, they've got regulatory approvals or, you know, use cases or real-world evidence of use or whatever it is, that by Australian made, if we want to be an innovation nation, we also need to be looking at our own and buying and putting our own taxpayer purchasing dollars behind our own yeah. technology. And I guess the other one is if you look globally, we're seeing some really specific health technology assessment and reimbursement pathways emerge for digital therapeutics and remote patient management and really starting to look at how we... Can you get reimbursement for a digital health solution in Australia? Yes, but you will have to be able to fund yourself through that pathway. Whereas what we're seeing in Germany and other places is is some quite clear, dedicated reimbursement and health technology assessment pathways that support these technologies to get to patients quickly and support clinicians in identifying which technologies are legit and which ones mm. maybe don't have the evidence base. So giving them that confidence in which digital applications you can prescribe. And I guess one aspect of that also is, you know, having the digital therapeutic or the digital management tool or digital engagement app, you know, in the clinical guidelines. Because, you know, for a clinician, you need to operate within the guide rails of your industry. And there's no real reference to digital technology in clinical guidelines in Australia. So if you're treating your patients within the clinical guidelines and there's no reference to digital technology, it's quite hard it's a bit of a leap of faith for clinicians to step outside. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to do with that then in terms of the what next with the report. So look, we'll make sure the, the details for it in the show notes of this episode. People can download it and then also learn more about Ant Health and the things that you're doing. Bron, I appreciate you making the time before you go and officially launch this thing and get, get the word out there. Always so, happy um, to have an unofficial chat with you. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much. See ya. Before you go, just a reminder to jump over to our YouTube channel and subscribe and watch some episodes there. There are podcast episodes, summit sessions, and a bunch of other interesting content on our channel. You can just search Talking Health Tech in the YouTube app or click on the link in the show notes of your podcast player and it should just take you straight there. Thank you. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.